guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, Registered Nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast. Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc. Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is. I don't even know what we do. Today's episode is sponsored by Wild, a natural deodorant company that focuses on performance, sustainability, and style. It's cruelty-free, vegan, free of aluminum and parabens. And honestly, I've tried several like natural deodorants before, and I haven't been able to get past the first week because my armpits are just like wet and gross. I genuinely feel the same. And... I absolutely love this product. I love what it stands for. It genuinely works. Which no, it is, actually works. It actually works. Like, I'm being deadly serious right now. I love it. It feels great on my armpits because I even, like, even when I use, like, deodorants that aren't necessarily all natural, they still just leave my arms feeling, like, super wet and I just yeah. smell, like, the deodorant scent all day. Yeah, but this deodorant scent smells so lovely i have i have the orange one i have the aqua one and it is a dream for sure um like barry said it is eco-friendly with all natural ingredients which i love i think personally i am trying to make a switch so that all my kind of toiletries um you know products, skincare products, makeup, etc., is as natural as it can possibly be. Their packaging is all sustainable and you can also do it as a subscription. So you don't even have to, you know, go to the store or anything like that. Just make it a subscription, make your life easy. We all need deodorant every single day. Just get it straight through your letterbox. It is so, so, so simple. So go wild today and get yourself this natural refillable deodorant that really does work. You can order by going to wearewild.com and you will get 20% off your first order when you use code FORKING. That's F-O-R-K-I-N-G for 20% off. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry, registered dietitian. And I'm Sophie, registered nutritionist, and we have brought Dr. Tara Swart back to talk to us today because we just loved the episode that she was on last time and we got such positive feedback from you guys as well. So welcome back, Tara. Thank you so much. I'm honoured to be invited back, but I really particularly enjoyed my conversation with you two, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be doing this again. Yeah, it was such a good conversation. Actually, you're our first repeat guest. Wow, so <laughs> that's chosen boosted, one. Yeah, that's completely boosted my confidence. <laughs> well, we absolutely love just like your perspective. And we wanted to talk today about imposter syndrome. Um, because as you know, Sophie and I just announced our book and it's really exciting, but at the same time, I'm like weirdly embarrassed to tell people about it. And I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but like I don't know why we feel this way and I think I voiced it um maybe on my Instagram and people are like can we talk about this more cuz mm-hmm. it's such a relevant topic now and I feel so many people feel that way. Yeah, I mean it's it's always a relevant topic. So um years ago I wrote a blog on imposter syndrome and it got the biggest number of hits of any blog I've I've done to, to that date. Wow. And I got emails from people I'd worked with all over the world 
every gender, every age, every industry saying this really resonated with me. And that really got me thinking. So I've got quite a few stories and personal experiences mm. about it that I can share. But I almost feel like this podcast should be like a therapy session for you two to completely get rid of this imposter syndrome. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're willing to take on that role, I'm more than happy to get super honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd love to help you too. We can do it off record. But why don't we do it? Because I just think yeah. so many, everyone, I think, pretty much feels that way. And so maybe if we go through your actual experience, that will you know, be very practical and helpful for your listeners. Yeah, definitely. I almost feel like when I've been, I feel like I'm quite a driven person. And even now, probably still, I feel like there's going to be this like, amazing point in my career where I'm like oh my god I've done it like I'm here kind of thing and I always thought that when I had a book because it is something that I've wanted to do for the last three or four years I'd be like oh you know I've made it I've got a book and I just don't feel like that at all (laughs) yeah I agree and also when you said so it just reminded me I don't know Tara if you're familiar with like the anagrams um but Sophie and I just took the test and we're both Mm. a three which is like um the achiever and I do Mm -hmm. wonder if people who are identified more this like hyper driven you know going for success do we experience this more because we are not really ever satisfied with our like career yeah I think there's definitely a correlation between the super a type people and imposter syndrome and but the nice side of what you've just said is that it's like peeling layers off an onion. So you'll you'll do more and more. You know, you've reached one goal, mm. but now you see, well, that's not the end. You know, I can't just yeah. sit at home on my sofa now and let this book just sell itself. So yeah. there's there's more to do. And I'm sure, you know, an obvious one is, is a follow-up book, but so many opportunities could come from this. And the biggest piece of advice I can give you, which I was lucky to get from a friend who'd had her book published a year or two before mine, was that because we're both coaches and you're both, you know, in a therapeutic type, you know, mm-hmm. sort of um, job as well, she said you suddenly go from being very focused on other people and caring for them and helping them to feeling very externally validated. What are people saying about the book? Do they love it? Do they hate it? Um, you know, sales figures and things like that. And she said you've got to stay so grounded when it comes out. And that was such a good piece of advice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely will take that on board. <laughs> Um, but it might be helpful for us to like kind of start by defining imposter syndrome because I feel like when we go through it, everyone will be able to identify with it, but maybe they've not labeled it as such. Yeah, so um, like you said, it's something that often affects people who become successful very quickly or reach a high position sort of at an age that they didn't think they would or just, you know, a goal that they've had for so long that they never thought they'd reach. And it's literally the feeling of, I don't deserve to be in this position. And at some point I'm going to get found out that I'm not really good enough. Mm -hmm. It's scary. I know. It's funny because I actually explained, even before we decided to do this podcast, I was talking to these feelings about, to my sister, sorry. And she's a teacher. And she said, I feel like that. She was like, I get up in front of all my students. I'm like, what do I know? Like, I'm teaching all these kids. Like, and I was like, that's so strange. Like, you're a teacher and you feel that. Like, she's so, and I look at her and I'm like, you're so qualified. Like, you know so much. And yeah, so I guess, I think, like you said, anyone can resonate. I don't know. Teachers probably have a heightened sense of, you know, imposter syndrome when it comes to their subject matter, because maybe they don't realize that they are the expert. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when you're a teacher, you feel like, because you still remember how you felt as a child with your teachers, you think they know everything, you think they're yeah. so amazing, yeah. and when you grow up, you don't feel that you know everything, so suddenly exactly. it's like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be like, but I don't feel like that. Um, yeah. I've got so many little stories like that, I was talking to someone, I can't even remember who, but I was in the States, and they were talking about students at MIT, which is usually the best university in the world and he said it's students there are so smart it's like ridiculous they're way smarter than all the professors and I was like yeah yeah I know and he said <laughs> where did you go because I teach there and he said where did you go to university and I said Oxford and he went oh well you're just like them too then <laughs> but you know I never I never think that yeah it is so true it's like um you never realize how much knowledge you have because it's they always say like the more knowledge you accrue the more you realize that there's so much for you to learn Mm -hmm. whereas people who aren't as well versed in certain subjects they have a little bit of knowledge and they feel like an expert so it's like the more we know the more we realize we don't know yeah there's nothing more dangerous than the person that knows a little and thinks that they know everything so yeah very true better to be like us and and that completely what you just said Barry completely goes with what Sophie just said about I thought there was this goal and once I reached it that would be it but actually once you've done a book you realize a lot of things about yourself how determined you must have been through that you know period of writing it and having to keep it under wraps and so you learn new things about what you're capable of and so that's a really good thing that gets added into your toolkit but at the same time that little imposter syndrome voice is still there saying all sorts of things to you that because you know how to push your own buttons, basically. Yeah, I think it's trying to find that balance as well between actually like staying humble, because I'm so grateful to have been given this opportunity. And I almost don't want to make too big of a deal out of it. Because I'm like, well, I don't want to shout about myself. Like, I want people to know that I am still very, very grateful. And, you know, so appreciative of this opportunity, which I am. But I'm like, I don't want to come across cocky, I guess. Yeah, but Sophie, you're never going to do that. So your your issue is actually going to be that you're not going to sort of talk about it enough. Yeah, um, I guess. I think I struggle fear. from that as well. There's a quote. I probably won't get it exactly right, but look it up. And it's something like, your biggest fear isn't that you're, you'll fail. Your biggest fear is that you will shine so brightly. Um, yes. So, yeah, exactly. So... I think there's a point of balance. Um, It's obviously really important to be humble, grateful, grounded. Um, But unfortunately, imposter syndrome can be a really great way of beating yourself up all the time. And I used to do it and something happened to me, an external thing that made just actually really blew it out of the water for me. And I couldn't have, you know, arranged for this to happen. But there's two parts to the story. One is that I was working with a hedge fund billionaire who literally said to me, one day somebody's going to walk into this office and say, what are you doing here? You're not good enough to be here. You should never have got this far. And I remember like the slow neural pathways in my brain thinking, oh my goodness, I never would have thought somebody like this would feel like that. And I, you know, he's obviously got some self-esteem issues that I can help with as a coach. Mm. But the immediate reflex reaction was, thank God I'm not the only person that thinks that. Yeah. And that's what got me to write the blog. So I was like, wow, if my brain reacted like that, what, you know, maybe this is a thing. And and then the response to the blog was kind of proved that. So about a year later, I, because like I said, I usually teach at MIT, but I was doing a guest lecture at Stanford. And so I flew from the UK and it's a long flight and it's a huge time difference. 
And so, you know, I was in a hoodie and jeans and trainers, my glasses on, really tired, a bit discombobulated. And I arrive at immigration and they say, what, you know, I ticked the business box. They said, what business are you here on? And I said, um, associate professor at Stanford. And this guy literally looked at me and was like, you're a professor at Stanford. <gasps> oh, my and, God. I, I mean, I did, in the face. <laughs> I did look a bit of a mess, but it's funny because I sort of thought, yes, I know, I don't look like one. That's what was going on in my yeah, mind. Yeah, and then you start apologizing for it. Except I didn't, because suddenly with this, you know, the blog and the, the case study that I had in the background, I thought, no, I do this to myself all the time. You are not going to do this to me. Yeah. So I, I stood there and I looked at him and I said, yeah. And literally, he, we were like staring each other out. And he said, what do you teach? And I said, neuroscience. And he went, OK, then. Wow. Oh my God. Good I for know. you. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of took a challenge to make me think no it's not okay for me to yeah. apologize for yeah. whatever it is that I'm female or I look too young or that I'm wearing a hoodie like that's irrelevant you know if, if you've got the education and you're doing it no one should be able to speak to you like that so I think going back to what you said Sophie that there's two sides to it one is to stay grounded but one is also to let your star shine kind of thing yeah. and it's about having both yeah, yeah, it kind of also sounds like you got to stand up, like you stood up for yourself in that sense and you didn't let someone else like, I guess he was essentially trying to belittle you for nothing. Like that was, you know, terrible. Um, but it's I find speaking up for yourself can be quite difficult in terms of your success in your career. And then like Sophie said before, it can sound quite like cocky. Um, and so we do this thing at work and we have these different circles. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of um, circles and business and stuff like that. Um, but one of the questions that got asked to me was, when do you feel, when have you felt most powerful in your career? And I literally said, I can't answer this because the word powerful in relation to my career makes me feel so uncomfortable and I don't want to be powerful because it has this almost sense of like arrogance attached to it and I want to stay humble and be you know grateful for my achievements and I was like I actually can't answer this but the bad thing is is that I think a man sorry to gender stereotype but I think <laughs> a man would jump at the opportunity of being like when have you felt most powerful in a career and then for me as a 27 year old woman you know who's arguably had a lot of success in these 27 years but it's so embarrassing for me to admit that. And I don't know why. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of things there. One is that um, a really good tip for you is to see your power or success or whatever word you want to use as the impact that you have on others, not about an attribute of yourself. So I'm immediately thinking with what you do, surely there are so many examples of people who've lost the weight that they wanted to, got their guts working properly again after years of suffering, um, who've learned so much about eating, you know, in a way that's psychologically healthy. Those powerful things that I know that you've done, and I'm mm. sure you, know, you have lots of examples. So I used to, when I was your age um, and older, actually, keep writing my journal like golden moments like you know really big compliments that I've been given or or things where I knew that it was a you know a success point so that I could look at that when I felt like I can't come up with an example of something that I've done or I don't feel like um able to articulate it so you don't yeah. always have to articulate 
articulate it but you do need to know it Barry so I think a little list is going to come up after this and I also want to just go back and qualify given what you said about gender stereotypes that I don't think that person at immigration that his intention was to belittle me but because of stereotypes I just didn't fit into what yeah everybody thinks a Stanford professor should look like yeah and I get that um but I also have another phrase which I use if I feel imposter syndrome, which is what would a man say? Because you're right, there is that stereotype yeah. in the world. So if somebody asks me a question and I feel like, oh, no, I can't, you know, I shouldn't, I'll sound like I'm boasting. I often say to myself, what would a man say? And then I say like something That's really the over the top confident. And it's, you know, people don't respond badly to that. So yeah. I think play around with it too and see what responses you get. That's such a good point what you just said like I constantly feel like oh if I talk about my achievements too much then it sounds like I'm boasting. Yeah that's that's that I I sort of did some you know self-development work and realized that that's what's underneath it that's what's underneath not saying things because you because you feel that. Um, I've forgotten what I was going to say next but it'll come back to me come back I would I would love to hear some kind of coping mechanisms or things that you could advise in regards to getting over imposter syndrome or at least kind of um what's what I'm looking for like squash it a little bit I actually think it's one of these things like the layers of the onion that will keep coming up as you become more and more successful Mm -hmm, so it's really a you know it's definitely a journey there's no there's no end point where you think that's it. I've oh, yeah. Squashed I imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that the journaling, the list of golden moments, the list of compliments. And then I would say the biggest thing for me is the, the people that you have around you. So both the people that big you up and the people that will say, you know what, Sophie, you might be talking a little bit too much about that book at the moment. So you need, you know, the sort of the friend or partner that's such a good friend that when they say you might be pushing it a bit far, you're actually OK with that. So yeah. that's sort of a, yeah, a test thing. And another thing that I did that I think really helped my confidence was when I had built up my freelance practice to a certain point, but I had a big decision to make about do I try to build it into a bigger business or do I write a book? What do I do? I took on a mentor. I searched for a mentor and I actually put it, I chose a man because I felt like he would give me access to that male mindset that I didn't mm-hmm. have. Um, and, and absolutely he um, boosted my confidence more than anything he did for the structure of the business. It was the confidence um, thing that was really powerful. I've remembered what I was going to say earlier. As my business grew and as you know a book came out and another book etc I kept saying I can't believe this has happened I can't believe that you know and my mentor said to me Tara you need to start believing and this came up again when my book came out in the US last year and I said to one of my really good friend's husbands I keep saying I can't believe this and he said why don't you say I'm so grateful instead and so I had to like you know grow that neural pathway in my brain of stopping myself from saying I can't believe x just happened and saying I'm so grateful that this just happened mm-hmm. and then there was a moment where I was just walking around and thinking and I naturally said I'm so grateful that this just happened and I thought okay I've got it I've changed that neural pathway but but it's hard work and you have to keep doing it yeah. because 
like I said, something else happened recently and I was like, oh, I can't believe it. And then I thought, no, 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 we're not going back there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I mean, I'm a huge believer in and I practice gratitude daily. So I absolutely love that. But I've also taken up journaling really recently. Like I've got really into it quite quickly and I like want to do more and more of it. But I feel like I'm not very good at it. Like, do you have any like suggestions as to like, I don't know, like, is there a certain time of day you should do it? Or is there, you know, should you do the same thing every day in terms of like writing lists of what you're grateful for? Or I don't know, any any pointers would be amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so journaling is, is really not something that you can be good at or bad at. It's just okay, something you're just doing. And so there's really lots of ways that you can do it. Some people do a mind dump in the morning, which is called morning pages. And so that's just to get everything off your mind once you've you know, done emotional processing overnight whilst you've been sleeping. Um, doing a gra- doing gratitude list, but if that's your only entry for the day, that's fine. Um, I think when you're starting, it's really important to do it regularly, not necessarily every single day, but really quite regularly and preferably to write it by hand. I always just did, you know, something happened and this is how I felt emotionally or I had a decision to make and I made the decision based on intuition and then this is what happened. And I'm a really big believer in reading back over your journal to see your Mm. thought processes um, because that really helps you hone your intuition but it can also help you to, to sort of try to quash imposter syndrome because you'll see places that you said, this amazing thing happened, but I didn't tell anyone. Or, you know, this happened and I tried to play it down to my friends. And that will really help you to judge, was that the right thing to do or not? And so, for example, if you, let's say you throw a big book party and you give a speech and, um, you know, people say all sorts of lovely things, then if you write all that down, write how you felt about it, write what happened when you said to somebody at the party like how proud and grateful you are for what's happened and just chart all of that but do read back over three to six months and see if you're improving in terms of how you deal with imposter syndrome Mm, that's a really good idea yeah yeah I like that a lot I think that um I I keep the journal next to the side of my bed and I probably do it probably like three or four times a week so it's not kind of every day but that kind of makes me feel like what you said it doesn't have to be every day Mm. um but I see it and it's like even though if I'm not writing it down it's like that mental note like and I just kind of like scan the day and just think about things even Mm. though I'm not actually physically writing it um which I find is helpful as well just that like physical reminder even totally and I each year I sort of do a little search and I pick the most beautiful little journal that I can find. So it's something that, you know, just seeing it makes me feel happy and makes me want to write in it more. I've really learned by having a regular journal practice in the past that those times that you think something and you have an insight and you don't write it down, you forget those things. It it is actually really important to write it down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's like when you go to sleep at night. I don't know if anyone else experiences this. Like, yeah, I feel like it's the time where I like am most creative and I have so many ideas in my head and I'm thinking so much and I'm like, should I write it down? No, no, I'll definitely remember tomorrow. And then I definitely don't remember yeah. it. <laughs> my shower I'm completely the same. My, yeah, whenever I take a shower, I have like these like light bulb moments and then I come out of the shower. I'm like not even dry. And I'm like, give me a phone, give me a pen. <laughs> Just like... A mess but yeah I I agree and if you don't write it down then you do forget it and then that's like 
yeah, not you're not putting it out into the universe as you should. Exactly. And there is a scientific explanation for what you both said, which is that period of going from being awake to being asleep is um, and, and also the period from being awake, being asleep to waking up. They're called the hypnagogic and hypnopompic psychological states. And they are a state where creativity is, is you know, at its peak. And the same with having a bath or shower. So a lot of, I won't remember them all now, but a lot of really major inventions in the world happened when people were in the bath or shower. That's so interesting. Even like song lyrics and, um, you know, science formulas and stuff like that. So there's yeah. a lot of examples of those. That's so interesting because I do always think now like when I'm going to sleep I'm like should I get my head off the pillow and like write down my ideas or should I just think into sleep? <laughs> you definitely don't want to disrupt your sleep. Exactly. But, um, <laughs> yeah but look, why not play around with that a little bit and maybe just do some journaling before your head actually hits the pillow and see if that yeah. solves yeah. That's such a good idea yeah my friend who I used to live with in London she used to just wake up at four in the morning and start typing on her phone like when she used to wake up with these thoughts and I'd be like surely it's not good for you to get your phone out at 4am and start jotting down ideas but yeah Tara's shaking her head for anyone yeah (laughs) well I should tell you an alarming statistic that is actually very very bad for you because the blue light disrupts your melatonin and cortisol which are the um falling asleep and waking up hormones and that has a knock-on effect on both male and female sexual hormones because they're all in the same uh, steroid hormone category and so for the same reason that uh, female air stewardesses and nurses who do shift work have more cancers than women that don't do shift work if you stimulate your pineal gland with blue light any time in the middle of the night and my my um contact who's a you know professor of breast surgery said if you even look at your phone for one second in the middle of the night you're increasing your cancer risk by times three whatever your risk is genetically wow yeah so that is actually really bad it's got to be paper and pen but but don't do it in the middle of the night do it just before you fall asleep or as soon as you wake up yeah that's so interesting can I ask a question so I've got a blue light screen on my phone like one of those protector screens do they work (laughs) um there's a few things that work so now um there's the whole nighttime day, night shift thing night that you mode, can put yeah. on so it becomes more orange. And there's flux that you can put on your laptop. I don't actually know about those screens, but the glasses work, so I imagine that it probably does. Ah, okay, good to know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is really, really an interesting statistic. Um, alarming, actually. Um, I feel as though that will be one that I share with many people. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, interesting. Just to go back to something that you said in the beginning, I think my biggest takeaway so far is when I'm feeling um, like I'm having these imposter syndrome moments, having that thought of like, what would a man say is really stuck with me since you said that. And it's one of these things um, that we also do at work. Work is very good for helping us um, talk Stay about grounded. our accomplishments. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's a, a Google initiative called I Am Remarkable that empowers um, women and other underrepresented groups to celebrate their achievements in the workplace and beyond. Um, so we did this kind of um, inspiration station, we call it within our team. Um, and we did this whole I Am Remarkable kind of uh, presentation. And one of the things that really stuck out to me is that men are more likely to apply for jobs that they're not qualified for 
And that women, even though we are qualified, we won't apply for certain jobs because we don't feel qualified enough. And I think that whole thing of like, oh, well, what would a man say? What would a man do? Mm. That just really resonated with me. And, you know, they, I don't know why that is. Maybe society has sculpted them to be, you know, perceived differently where women are perceived to be more humble and not braggy and, you know, more, I don't know, the word for it. Yeah. But, yeah, I just find that so interesting. And I feel like that's something I'm going to try and adopt without having that like negative boastfulness mm-hmm. um so there's a book you'd love called top dog the science of winning and losing and in that book it expands on what you've just said obviously everything that we say about genders is based on population norm studies so it's yeah. the majority of people it's not every man or every yeah. woman but confidence does correlate to testosterone levels and obviously men have higher testosterone levels than women but we do have testosterone as well and you may have experienced this if you've worked, if you've moved from not working to working in a very male-dominated environment or hanging around with more male friends than female friends, that you, you actually start to exhibit more high testosterone um, behaviours. And so with that study that you mentioned, if there's a job spec with 10 bullet points on it, um, if a woman doesn't meet eight or nine of the 10, she won't apply for the job. But if the man looks at it and says, oh, I reckon I can do half of those, I'll apply, he will apply for the job. So it's the problem doesn't stop there, because if men are applying that many more times, even if they don't get the job, they are adjusting their CV, they're getting to go to interviews and network with people and get interview experience. Mm-hmm. And so by the time you come to like a CEO role or whatever the pinnacle of success is for you, your male equivalent will have done up to seven times as many job applications and interviews as you. And that's then putting you actually at a disadvantage, even if it's the job that you think, yes, I can definitely do, I want to do it. Um, because of the, you know all these external factors, like tweaking the CV by getting feedback from people, being less nervous about going to interviews, and possibly even knowing people on the interview panel because they've done that same thing so many yeah. more times. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And I think we need to, one, I'm glad that we're having this conversation, mainly because the majority of our audience are women. Um, So hopefully, (laughs) you know, it's empowering to them to know that, you know, you are highly qualified and you are, you know, super great at what you do and you need to believe it more and scream it from the rooftops and not be embarrassed to say it um, Mm -hmm. because no one's embarrassed for you listening to it. So that's another thing that like really has kind of stood out for me where when I look and I said this to you before, Sophie, when I look at Sophie, I'm like, there's no reason why she shouldn't have everything that she has. And of course, I feel the same. I feel the same about you. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, obviously, that's that's where her career has gotten her this far. Like, duh. But for me, it's like, crap. Everyone is looking at me I don't belong it's there. funny that like I said to my mum the other day like I was saying how amazing it is that I've we actually got to do this together Barry and I was like I said to my mum I was like, I feel like Barry is like my ally in the industry because sometimes when like I'm questioning my own expertise like I ask you quite a lot Barry don't I like yeah. you know and Barry will be like just she'll be like yeah like you're good you're fine like you know it and I'm like oh okay if Barry says it then it must be true <laughs> You're so you're so lucky to have each other because I think can you imagine how hard it would be if you had the feelings that you have Completely. and you didn't have an ally? 
Yeah. Um, but there is a little tr- uh, tip for people who don't have as obvious an ally as you two do, which is um, imagine that you were giving advice to your sister or your best friend. What would you say to them? So because yeah. that removes you from being in the middle of all the emotions that you're experiencing. And like you said, we all do it for our sisters and our best friends. Yeah. You know, say all these positive things, but we very rarely say those things to ourselves. Yeah. yeah, and that's actually a t- technique that I found super useful when working with people with disordered eating. It's like, well, if I said yeah. to you, how would you respond to that to a friend? Um, and it kind of helps them rationalize their or unrationalize their disordered thinking um, because they wouldn't tell their friends and family to have disordered thinking, would they? They would, you know, want them to have thinking that's going to support them mentally. And then they kind of take on that own advice. So it's almost, yeah, using my own practice what I preach, isn't it? Which is yeah. it's harder. such a powerful thing to do. I think you really have to get into the mentality of, okay, let me actually pretend that I'm a friend, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and like, you know, with neuroplasticity, that can also need some practice. So either write it in your journal or do it on a daily basis until you're able to do it when you're actually in a crisis moment. Um, don't just wait till it gets to a really low point and then yeah, try to definitely. be your own best friend. Um, another side of that is to dish out compliments and confidence boosting statements to everybody that you know, like there's like the world's going to end tomorrow. I mean, the more you do that, you know, you're, you're doing something good for somebody else, but um, also that person's more likely to be an ally to you because you yeah. know, you've kind of nurtured that really good mm-hmm. relationship. And I think for me, um, you know, especially as I've got older, doing that for other people, other women, younger people is really, really important to me, but it also makes me feel good. You know, like yeah. when, you, when you're kind, there's an actual mm. hormonal response in your own body. So I think that's really important. Um, yeah, people, Sophie, I, I'm sorry, I was going to say, Sophie, I feel like you do a good job at that. You always post like positive quotes and like uplifting things. And oh, I feel like that's, that's helpful for people to see, but it's also probably helpful for you as well yeah I think if I'm in a moment where I feel like I need to see something positive I've got like a whole um Pinterest board if any I think it's public if anyone wants to follow it but I pin all this positive stuff and I think I'm actually going to share that because you know I have a nice amount of followers that probably it will benefit maybe just one or two people which is you know better than no one yeah and I think you know a lot of people everyone would look at you two and not imagine that you have imposter syndrome and so there's two sides of that showing a bit of vulnerability is really cool but also role modeling what you do and being proud of that because of the impact that that could have on someone and it's it's funny because my husband isn't into all this stuff at all but at one point I was like really really stressed and busy and I was like I can't you know I just don't want to be working all these time zones and doing this anymore and he said Tara if a little girl somewhere in the world sees what you're doing and thinks that she could do it too, that's so huge that you mm. can't not do it. And that had a really strong impact on me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I def- mean, I, sorry, I was just going to say, I personally think you are incredible. Yeah. Like your work fascinates me. Honestly, like I really do look up to you. So to even have you on this podcast, I'm like, and Barry, I think we'll yeah, feel same. the same. We're like, oh my God, like she's actually on our podcast and we actually get to talk to her and spend time with her. <laughs> it's like half <laughs> down girling so and then like half just like absorbing as much of your brain into ours that we can. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> our podcast. Thank you so much. That's, you know, 
there's never a stage you get to where you don't need to hear something like that. You know, that's definitely going to set me up for a, a better day than I would have had oh, if I hadn't right. really to. <laughs> that's so nice. But yeah, no, I totally agree with what you're saying. My mom is a great example of that, where she um, started her own business um, when I was young and she ran her own business super, super successfully. Um, I think that having like the mother figure is like the breadwinner of the family was like really nice for me to see growing up because it showed me like I can do anything I want. And my mom always says like, you can do it, just like work hard and you'll get there. And I actually saw her do that. So I, I internalized it. And I think that's been like a huge motivator for me um, that, you know, the it's, it's a bit different to what society portrays as like typical success. So that was nice. So yeah, I, I understand that role model behavior. It's important. And I don't know if you have brothers, but it's also really important for boys to see that kind of thing. It actually yeah. has an impact on who they might choose to marry later. So, you know, like I have a son and it's also important for me that he sees that I work hard, that I contribute to the family, etc. cetera. Um, and because we know that um, senior male leaders who have a wife that has an equivalent kind of job are more likely to promote women in the workplace. Yeah, than, than like men Barack who have... Obama. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I always think like, um, you know, Michelle Obama is a huge um, role model to me and my mom. And um, that, yeah, definitely transcends into their like family dynamic as well. But I do have a brother. Um, and yeah, I think he does appreciate, he did appreciate the situations that we had growing up and seeing that and female empowerment and things like that yeah yeah and there's actually another factor that's just popped into my mind and I was thinking about it for a completely different reason but a friend recently said to me I started working out again and that has a really positive effect on my self-esteem and I remember when I was going through a difficult period of my life uh, someone who's like sort of second mum to me said you know get back into Pilates, because if you feel strong physically, you'll feel strong mentally. Mm. And I actually think that's really true. So, mm. you know, if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, then a very practical way to try to, you know, have a holistic approach to improving that um, could be to do exercise, but particularly some sort of weight bearing exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree in times of my life where I needed to feel more, you know, powerful for whatever reason even though I don't like that word powerful but you know what I mean (laughs) um where I needed to feel like I needed to lift myself up um yeah just exercise and strength training whether it be Pilates or like weightlifting is Mm -hmm. hugely impactful yeah yeah completely agree and there is another thing as well, which is the Wonder Woman pose. Have you oh, ever tried oh, that? Oh, yeah, we spoke about that last time. I love that. I told my mum to do that the other day. Did you? <laughs> yeah. And she was, like, standing there, like... Yeah. <laughs> I always picture, like, Grey's Anatomy. They do it before they go into surgery. Um, and I just love that. Like, yeah, just be the power, exude the power, and you will be powerful. God, I keep saying powerful. It's like a word that I like literally. It's like you want to be powerful. <laughs> yeah, I think that needs to become your new mantra. Yeah. Completely. In Barry's bio, I am powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to change my Instagram bio now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I am going to be watching you two to make okay. sure that you are talking about this book. Okay. And yeah. you're putting it out there and you're really proud of yourselves and... Um, you know think of it mostly as being a role model for somebody else who really wants to write a book but doesn't think they can 
that makes it easier yeah it does I absolutely love that way of looking at it and now I'm going to be thinking okay Tara's watching me so I need to show up for her and be my best me I'm your accountability partner yeah exactly (laughs) yeah I love that yeah I'm definitely gonna try and implement all those things and not shy away from talking about myself and it's not boastful it's just you know you have to talk about your achievements to be a role model I'm actually going to share with you a really funny story which is actually quite embarrassing but I'm going to share oh, yeah, it, so, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> so I did my PhD like over 25 years ago and it was a traumatic experience writing it up it's the only time in my life I've actually wanted to give up on something wow. um, but I did you know I did complete it but you, you would get a stack of of paper that's like three inches thick with red pen all over it basically saying that what you'd written was rubbish and and this went on for a long time um but obviously it did did get me to the point where I managed to publish my PhD but it was it was really quite traumatizing and so when I then uh I was then a doctor and then I changed career and became a coach and a speaker and the first time someone approached me to write a book I really really did not want to but it was a great guy and a great idea and and he really really supported me because it got towards the end and I literally got like PTSD from remembering my PhD Mm. and I kind of couldn't cope at the end and he actually like did so much to make it happen and that that was amazing and then a few you know then I said I'm never going to write a book again a few years later somebody else comes up with an idea (laughs) he's a great friend um we bring another, uh, you know, woman in to work with us. And do it, not letting those people down was my motivation. But, you know, I was literally, like, psychosomatizing, having, like, shoulder and neck pain and arm pain. And, um, and you know, we got it done. And then I said, I'm never going to write the book again. And then, obviously, like, there's this amazing way that um, being able to write the source came about. And actually, I really wanted to write that book. So it was hard work, but I did it. And then it came out and it was a bestseller in the week that it came out. And it's now got 36 translations, but at the time of publication, it had 24. And I was doing my makeup in the mirror. Thank you. Um, I was doing my makeup in the mirror and I can't remember what I was thinking about, but I remember very much thinking in my mind, yeah, yeah, that's because I'm not a writer. And I actually stopped and I looked in the mirror and I said, Tara, you are a best-selling author with currently 24 translations of your book you are a writer and I even like had you know a moment with myself where I was like I can't believe I'm still saying I'm not a writer so you have to identify as the person which is also something that um I feel like you talk about um as well as in one of the books I read probably Atomic Habits where it's like you identify as a runner and then you're a runner you identify as a writer and you're a writer whereas I would very hastily call myself an author like I would be like oh I'm Barry I'm a registered dietitian but no, I'm Barry, I'm a registered dietitian and an author. Yeah. And powerful. And, and powerful. powerful. <laughs> God, if anyone meets me in person, I'm like five feet tall and like, like I'm 12 years old. <laughs> but I'm so powerful. Yeah. No, I put a uh, picture on Instagram uh, ages ago of me in a little pale blue suit. And it was something about women feeling powerful. And it got really, really good responses. And then I came home and my stepson, who's six foot four, said, powerful, you're the size of a chihuahua. Oh, 
And you're like, no, I'm powerful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and actually, but funnily enough, there had been this phrase in my mind from something completely unrelated. And I looked at him and I said, I'm tiny, but mighty. There we go. <laughs> been my, my, my mom's actually smaller than me. She's 4'11". And that's like been our life motto, like tiny, but mighty. And then she always also says that she's uh, too short for her weight, which is unrelated. But I always found that like a bit <laughs> funny. She's like, no, it's not that I'm overweight. I'm just too short for my weight. Uh, and she's not like, if you ever met her, she's the farthest. Tiny. Yeah. It's, just, yeah, it's just a funny, a funny saying that made me uh, think about that. She sounds amazing. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Um, yeah, but yeah, I like that um, story of like, no, I am a writer and it, yeah. to not downplay your success. Yeah, you're a published author now. There we go. You guys heard it. <laughs> that was so weird. Um, before, there was just one other thing I wanted to talk about. And I actually feel quite embarrassed to say this, but I feel like this is a very safe place. And so I'm going to say it. I also felt really like I didn't deserve this opportunity. This is going to sound so stupid. Even though, you know, I'm a registered dietitian. I have a master's from a great university. But I felt like I didn't deserve this opportunity because I didn't have enough Instagram followers. How psycho is that? I, since we've released the book or like released the title and, you know, the book is now out to pre-order, I kind of feel the same, which is so sad. And I hate admitting it. I hate that because I know, Barry, that that's not a value of your success or that's not, that's not the hard work that you put in. That's like an external, a source of Mm -hmm. external validation. And I get that. But I feel like, do people look at it through the lens Mm -hmm. of... They don't care about the num- the letters behind my name. They care about the numbers behind my following. And do people care about that? And am I conscious of that? And it's embarrassing to admit. And I don't want to come off as like I'm, you know, that's all I care about because it's not. But I am conscious of it. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because it has become a metric of success in the mm. modern world. And, you know, prior to social media, it was kind of like a dirty word to talk about how much money you earned, for example, you know, so, but, but money is a metric of success. You know, I don't do what I do to earn more and more money, but if the bank balance is looking quite healthy, it is a reflection that perhaps Mm. I'm doing the right things. And um, so I don't think you would judge other people based on only that, but it might be a factor. So you need to turn that around and say, I'm thinking this about myself, but I wouldn't look at Tara's Instagram following and think that's the only thing that's important about her. So there's that. Um, Also, once your book comes out, your Instagram following will actually go up a lot, but that's irrelevant, you know, to this, to this tale. So I think that's what I meant about that piece of advice I got from my friend about staying grounded once it actually comes out, because there are all sorts of metrics of your of the success of your book that you'll be looking at. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I completely trust that you two will stay true to what's actually important. Um, yeah, and let's not deny it, that is it is it is important because it reflects that a lot of people are seeing the book, reading the book, telling each other about it. But it doesn't say anything about who you are or your qualifications. But I will say something really interesting that's happened during this year when we've been in such extraordinary circumstances is that the the rise of what I would call intellectual influencers. So Mm -hmm. more authors and scientists and healthcare workers have received a much bigger following 
than people who had a big following before because they were in fashion or beauty or lifestyle or whatever. So I think that's a very positive um, mm. indication of what people are valuing and looking for. And I think that's going to really um, support the publication of your book. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, that was very helpful. And I, I do agree. I think that during this time, people, you know, posting about things that maybe aren't as like relevant. It, it, I know that I personally unfollowed a lot of people during this time because it didn't make me feel good because we were all mm -hmm. going through our own things and then people were still posting all these like lavish photos of whatever. And I was like, well, that kind of makes me feel like crap. So I'm just going to take you out of my feed because I don't need that. Um, and then, yeah, I guess that maybe my, my follow, my followers have been more refined to being more academic and having more vo trustworthy voice is, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree with that. Yeah. And I think going back to what we were saying about role modeling, it's actually so important that you said that because everyone that's listening will have that little thing in their head too. And so the fact that we've all talked about it, I think will be so helpful for your listeners. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, this has been an amazing start to my Monday. <laughs> an amazing um, therapy session. Yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy we got to sit down and have this conversation. Um, and we even got more out of it than I thought we would do. So thank you so much, Tara. Oh, I'm so happy. Um, yeah, I really, honestly, I was so happy to be invited back because I admire and respect you both a lot. Oh, so that, that yeah. means so yeah, much. Yeah, that means so much. And there's literally an open invitation anytime yeah, you want to come back. Uh, we love having you on the podcast. And uh, for everyone who doesn't know, please go download Dr. Tara's um, book on Audible. I know I've, like a lot of people are into Audible these days and the source is on it. I've downloaded it. It's in my queue. I'm just very slow to listen to the one that I'm currently listening to. Um, but yeah, I was so happy that when my month... Uh, you have one credit. I was like, I know what book I'm getting. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I can't wait to get yours. Oh, amazing. Yeah, no, we'll definitely make sure you have a copy. And um, if you don't follow Tara on Instagram, please do because her page is full of helpful resources. Like it genuinely is. I find it really, really great. Me too. Well, thank, thank you so you. much, Tara. And I'm sure we'll speak to you very soon. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review and subscribe. And share with your friends and family or anyone that you think this episode might be helpful to. It really does help us get seen in the charts. Please go follow us on Instagram at Forking Wellness and pre-order our book either on Amazon.co.uk or BarnesandNobles.com.